Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you, Father, for making us a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests unto our God. For once we were not a people, but now we are the people of his pasture. And now we have obtained mercy through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we stand in this grace and we say, Father, we, are, we adore you for redemption. We thank you for what you did in your son Jesus. We ask once again this morning that you flood our hearts with the revelation knowledge of your son Jesus. We pray that, Father, you give to us the spirit of supreme intelligence that is in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We ask that we be filled with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That we may walk worthy of you, fully pleasing you, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. We thank you, Father, for having qualified us and made us to meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. We thank you because unto you that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. We give you praise that Father through the revelation of your word you bring the sons to maturity. We thank you Father in Jesus name. Amen. Alright give Jesus the glory and be seated. Thank you Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Glory, 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 glory. Come on, glory, glory. Tell someone I'm excited this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. All right, please, something soft at the background for me. All right, so um, you're still on our series. I think we're on part seven today on Christ, the riches of our eternal forgiveness. We laid a very powerful foundation. I will not want to start from the foundation, but the key elements that I shared with you, I just want us to brush through, then we move uh, for today's teaching. So the other time we met, we started looking at what Jesus Christ did to our sins. We said as believers, we need, to, we need to get established with this reality. There is something Jesus did to our sins, but until believers see it for themselves, they will not enjoy this reality. We said, number one, Jesus forgave all our sins. Forgiveness is salvation. Forgiveness is not something we ask and God gives to us. Forgiveness is what God gives to us in salvation and we receive. If you're hearing anything new, it's because we are in part seven, and which is part one for you. So you might not get what we are saying, but our advice that you get the teachings from part one to part six so that you can understand what we are doing in part seven. Hallelujah. Now we said that Jesus forgave all our sins. Jesus forgave all our sins 2,000 years ago. We were not yet born. 
were not even in existence, left alone to even sin. But yet he forgave us when he died. Praise God. So all our sins were in? Uh -uh. All our sins were in? I'm not hearing you. All our sins were in? Good. So your sins was future past, future present, and future future. Praise God. So it is not a crime to say that Jesus Christ forgave our past, our present, and our future sins. Praise God. If you say Jesus forgave only our past sin, you are being dishonored to the scriptures and to yourself. Because when Jesus died, all your sins were in the future. You were not even born yet. So we said, number one, Jesus forgave all our sins. We said the word forgiveness uh, comes from two Greek words. The word forgiveness is the Greek word aphesis, which means to send away. Praise God. We also said this from the second Greek word, which is forgiven, which is um, charizomai. We said the word charizomai is the word from which we have the word charis, which is grace. So we said forgiveness is an act of grace. And if it's an act of grace, we can't merit it. Praise God. The believer is completely forgiven. Praise God. The believer is what? Completely forgiven. In 1 John chapter 2, the verse 12, he says, he says, my little children, I write unto you because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Your sins are forgiven for his namesake. If you read Colossians chapter 2, the verse 13, the Bible says, Having forgiven us all our trespasses. So our sins have been, have been forgiving us, and our sins today are in the past. We are forgiven by Jesus Christ. It's something Jesus has already done. So God is not about to forgive you. That's what many have not realized. Of course, people will only pull this single scripture in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Which says that if we confess our sins, it's faithful and just to forgive us. We've said that that is not what many of you have been thinking. And we have not gotten to that side yet, but we are going to explain. In all the New Testament epistles, anytime forgiveness is mentioned, it's actually in the past. I'm going to teach you why John said if we confess our sins, we're going to know who he was referring to. We said number two, Jesus removed our sins. He canceled it. He removed our sins. In John chapter 1, verse 29, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So on the cross, Jesus, from the cross to the throne, Jesus removed our sins. Hallelujah. He canceled them. Number three, we said Jesus buried our sins. When Jesus hung on the cross, he carried or bore our sins. When he died, Jesus did not go to heaven immediately because Jesus died as a sinner. Where do sinners go when they die? Hell. So Jesus, because he was representing man, he went to hell. And because he carried our sins, he went to hell with our sins. When he rose up, did he rise up with our sins? No. So where are sins? In hell. So the believer's sins are in hell. So if you're looking for your sins, you need to go to hell. And people find it very difficult at accepting this, but this is the reality. Your sins are in hell. The Bible says you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You are not sitting with Christ with your sins. It's not even permitted. Hallelujah. 
Number four, we said he forgot your sins. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16, he says, uh, your, your uh, iniquities and your lawless deeds will I remember no more. Will I remember no more. So in the New Testament, God does not remember our sins. Our sins does not hold against us. Number five, we said God does not count our sins against us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the verse 19, he says, To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing men's trespasses to them. Not imputing their trespasses against them. Not imputing. We say the word imputing is the Greek word logizomai, which means it's actually an accounting term. It means to log. To log. Bible says in Isaiah 53, he says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. By his stripes we are. By his stripes we are. By his stripes we are healed. So if Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, will God wound you for your transgressions? No. So people don't get this. Jesus faced the judgment you are supposed to face. In Hebrews chapter 2 the verse 9, the Bible says that, um, let, let's get to Hebrews chapter the verse 9. We're going to read it here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 2, the verse 9. It says, but we see Jesus. If every believer must see Jesus in his life. It says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Why was he made a little lower than the angels? Why was Jesus made a little lower than the angels? Good. So can you say that a bit louder now? Why was Jesus made a little lower than the angels? Why was Jesus made a little lower than the angels? Now, let me see if I can trick you a little. Why did Jesus become a man? Is it clear? Why did Jesus have to become a man? So, did Jesus become a man because he also wanted to feel how it is like to be a man? Did Jesus become a man because he felt it was good to be a man? No, sir. Did Jesus become a man for himself? No, sir. Why did Jesus become a man? Are you seeing that? So, if Jesus became a man to suffer man's death, can we suffer for what we have done? Let's continue reading. Now look, he says, crowned with glory and honor. And look at this thing. That he, by the grace of God, should do what? Should do what? Look into your Bibles. So you see, if you didn't bring your Bible, you see how you're suffering. Because you're always depending on projector. I, I ain't. I got a backup here. So it's good to bring your Bibles to church. Hallelujah. So if you don't have a physical Bible, get one. Because one day there'll be light off. You can't read the Bible. Praise God. Good. He says that he, by the grace of God, should? Should? No, now you're looking to your Bible. Should do what? Taste that for himself? <coughs> for who? Are you seeing that no one goes to hell because of sin? Can you see that for yourself? Nobody goes to hell because of his sins. Because Jesus tasted that for who? Every man. So, does a man need to taste death? Now, when you see death there, don't think of physical death. Because physical death is actually the tip of the iceberg. Are you seeing that? 
Physical death means your spirit has separated from your body. But there's a real death. The real death is spiritual death, which is separation from God. Are you seeing that? So the Bible says Jesus tasted death for how many people? For every man. So does every man have to taste death? So why do men have to taste death? No, come on. Say boldly. You are students. Why, why, uh, uh, why do people have to taste death? Because they rejected the sacrifice of Christ in tasting death for every man. It's so simple. You see, the gospel is so simple that you just need one man to confuse you. I'm telling you, because the, the gospel has been complicated. You hear people saying all kinds of things. Sometimes when I put on the radio, I just, I'm like, oh my God. So who sponsored this guy? Who sponsored him? I want to know the sponsor. So, I realized things can become successful through sponsoring. Now, who is sponsoring Boko Haram? Why are they successful? Because someone is partnering them and sponsoring their activities. They have partners. I'm telling you, buying them ammunition so their work is prospering. So imagine if you want this message we are preaching to go out there, what must you do? Simple. We are not looking for an angel from heaven. You sponsor. They get out there. Hallelujah. This is good news. Nobody goes to hell because of your sin. You hear people saying that uh, anybody that has committed sin is not going to heaven. We, I mean, this is just complete junk. It does not, it does not make sense with the scriptures. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth should not. So you should not perish. That he that believeth in him should not perish. So when you believe in Jesus, will you perish? That is the problem. They don't know. That is why we teach it. That they may know. That our faith in Jesus Christ is enough. Hallelujah. We also say Jesus Christ has cleansed us of all, from all, all our sins. In Revelation chapter 1, the verse 5, the Bible says he washed us in his blood. Anytime you see blood, don't just think of red blood cells. Anytime you see blood, in the Old Testament when the, uh, an animal's blood is shed, what does it mean? His life has been taken. So the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. So what is the blood? It's the life of the person. The life of the person is the blood. And the blood of the person is the life. So if you see someone's blood, you've seen what? Life. When you drain someone's blood from him, what have you drained? His life. So when the Bible says that we have been washed in the blood, don't think of liquid. Think of what? His life from the cross to the throne. That is the entire work. So anytime you see the blood of Jesus, it's a spiritual activity. It's not a liquid. Are you, are you following this? It's a spiritual thing. Because in the Old Testament, they went with physical blood. Jesus couldn't have taken his physical blood. It's a spiritual thing. His entire work of salvation was the blood. That is why Jesus said, except a man drinks my blood and eats my flesh, he has no life. So what is the blood? He's telling you, drinking his blood is 
receiving his life. I hope this thing is clear. So, don't think of Jesus going with a bowl of blood like this. When he went to heaven, he went to the bowl. He said, Father, my bowl. Because remember, Jesus, Jesus shed his blood when he was circumcised. Do you know that? When he was circumcised, do you know his blood was shed? Do you know when he was in the garden, he sweat blood? Do you know he was beaten, he shed blood? So, where did the blood fall? So, how did Jesus collect all that, all that blood? <laughs> so, maybe he, he separated the blood from the sand. Is that it? That's why we are saying that don't think of liquid. It's a spirit. The blood is a spirit. Are you following this? The blood is... Now, okay, let's assume today you have been pray, pray, praying for the blood. Maybe I turn this water into blood. Do you see blood immediately? What do you see? You still see the water, but to you, you are believing it is. So the blood is a spirit, spiritual. So the blood of Jesus is spiritual. He's talking about his entire work. His entire work is his blood. It is his life. What he did with his life in death, burial, and resurrection. That is the blood. Is it sinking there? Are you sure? So his entire work of salvation is called his blood. His entire work of salvation is called what? His blood. So Jesus said, except you drink of my blood and eat of my body, he says you have no life. He was not referring to the communion. Because the, the teaching on the communion is in 1 Corinthians 11. That's, that's a different thing altogether. But in John 5 and John 6, when he was talking about bread and uh, blood, he was speaking to his life was bread. His life was blood. So he's saying, if you don't believe in me, you will not have life. That's the same thing. So when you believe in Jesus, you have drunk his blood. When you believe in Jesus, you have eaten the bread. That's why Jesus said, uh, your forefathers ate manna and they still died. But this is a manner that comes from above that a man may eat and not die. So what is the bread? Eternal life. What is the blood? Eternal life. <laughs> Alright. We will treat that as a topic on its own. Good. So we looked at how forgiveness was acted in the drama of the Old Testament. They were acting cantata. And all the cantata shows they did was pointing to God's plan of salvation. You understand? So all what Moses did, did was salvation. Was pointing to forgiveness. We have explained that if I start, we can't finish. So please get the teaching. I believe it's really going to help you. Hallelujah. Good. So... We want to continue with some three other stories then some three other drama movies. Then we move on. Good. So today I want to treat with you the mystery of the red heifer as it points to forgiveness. Okay? The mystery of the red heifer. Hebrews chapter 9 the verse 13. I always say don't read the Bible with English man's understanding. You will come out disappointed. Because the Bible had a Jewish setting. The Bible had a what? A Jewish setting. So, never read the Bible with um, an European mentality. You must understand Jewish culture. 
For example, Jesus said, it is difficult or it's impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to enter into the eye of a needle. Now, an Englishman would take the eye of a needle to be the small hole in the needle. That's reading the Bible in English. But to the Jewish man, he understood what the eye of the needle is. What is the eye of the needle? Now, in Israel, they had two gates. They had the main gate, very big gate, where human beings pass. Now, they had a very small gate, which was around the big gate, through which camels passed through to enter into Jerusalem. They don't pass through the main gate. They pass through that small gate, very small. For you to pass through that gate as a camel, you have to bend and enter. So it's a form of humility. So Jesus was saying it the way it is difficult. A camel must humble himself to enter. He's saying a rich man because of his pride may not. So he says down for a rich man to enter through the eye of the needle. That small gate the camel has to humble himself to enter is called the eye of the needle. And the Jewish people understood. But would you read the Bible as an Englishman? You say, ah, panie, okay. <laughs> Praise God. So he's saying a rich man will suffer because rich men, uh, some, some are deluded by their wealth that they feel proud. That's what Jesus said. It's very difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom than for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle. <laughs> I hope it's cool. You got some knowledge there, right? Wonderful. Good. So Hebrews chapter 9, chapter 9 the verse 13. If you are there, you say glory. glory. All right. Now let me read from the verse um, 11. He says, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and a more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. So the tabernacle Jesus went into in heaven was not a building tabernacle. It was not a tabernacle that was made with bricks. Not even of gold. The, heaven, the heavenly tabernacle was God's presence itself. Praise God. Now, I, I used to think until recently when I was reading the scriptures very well, I got to understand it. Because I was also thinking that there was a, a, a heavenly tabernacle there with also having the holy of holies. So when Jesus also rose, he collected his blood, then he also went into that tabernacle, ignoring God. And he went there, then he went to sprinkle his blood on the heavenly mercy seat. That was what I was also thinking. Until I realized it was wrong. Now, read the verse 11 again. He says, let's start from the verse 8 to make much more understanding. He says, the Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was standing. What is the first tabernacle? The tabernacle of who? Moses. Now, look. He says, which was a? Which was a? What is a figure? A shadow. So, if the, the, the first tabernacle was a building, would the real tabernacle be a building? Are you seeing that? He said it was a figure. A figure is a shadow or a type. I go see this. So he says, which was a figure for the time present. What time present? The old covenant time. So he says, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices. That could not make him that did the service. What? 
perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Now look at the verse 10. He says, we stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and he called it carnal ordinances. Hey! Carnal ordinances. Look, until the time of until the time of what is reformation? Reformation means to make things straight or to restore. So he's saying all these physical canal ordinances were there until the time the thing was changed. It was restored to the real. Are you seeing that? Good. He says the verse 11, please pay attention, okay? He says, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and a more what? Hey! A more perfect tabernacle not made with? So this tabernacle Jesus went to in heaven was not a building. It was not made with hands. That is to say of this building. So what Jesus went to was not a building. Are you following this? Now look, he says, neither with the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. We said blood means life. That means by his own what life? Resurrection life. By his own resurrection life. He entered how many times? Once into there. Now, when you see holy place, you'll be confused that, okay, isn't it a place? We are going to understand it. That's why you need to read the whole Bible in context. Into the holy place, having obtained what? Eternal redemption. Now, let's explain the verse 12 further. Look at um, um, the verse 23. He says, it was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but heavenly things themselves with what? Better what? Sacrifices than these. Now the verse 24 is so key because he explains the whole mystery. He says, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. Look, which are what? The figures of the true. So it wasn't like there was a building and Jesus went through the first one, outer court. He entered the in, uh, holy place. Then he now entered into the holy of holies. No. He says where he entered was not of this building. Now look. Which are the figures of the true? But where did he go? Into? Heaven itself. Now, where was the high priest supposed to take the blood? Into the holy of holies. Now, where did Jesus enter? He he entered into heaven itself now to appear in there. So, what is the holiest place? What is the holy of holies? <laughs> is it clear? What is the holy of holies? He entered for who? He entered for who? Where are we? He didn't enter for himself. So, if Jesus has entered the holiest of all, which is God's presence, where are we? So, the believer is in the holiest of all. <laughs> so, don't think there's another holiest of all in, in, in heaven and Jesus went there. Now, imagine, the, have you forgotten that the angels surround God's throne and what do they shout? So, who is the holiest? <laughs> 
Did you see that? So imagine Jesus entered heaven and God was sitting down and Jesus was going to look for another holy place. That's an insult. So he said, the first tabernacle was only a type which was made with hands. This tabernacle did not have a holy of all and a holy place. That place was God's presence. And that is why Jesus entered. How did he enter? He entered with his life. <laughs> his resurrection life. Where are we? How? In Christ. questions must be answered now. Where is the believer? The presence of God. Where is the presence of God? Where is the presence of God? No, you are not bold. Where is the presence of God? Where is the believer? Where is the presence of God? Now, what is another name for the presence of God? The holiest of all. So, where is the believer? The holiest of all. Where is the holiest of all? Listen, if you look at your lifestyle, this truth will not make sense. <laughs> Can I hear some yes I here? <laughs> if you look at your lifestyle, this reality cannot hold. That is why God did not check your lifestyle. He did not check your behavior. He examined your savior. Let me break it down. In the Old Testament, when a man sinned, he did not go and beg God. It is an insult to go and beg. He has to go with an animal. So the animal exchanged his life. Now, when he took the animal to uh, the tabernacle, the priest did not examine him. He examined his lamb. So, the worthiness of the man was the worthiness of when the lamb is accepted, the man is. So it is not your behavior. It's your savior. So if God checked your behavior to give you salvation, holiness, forgiveness, you would have missed it. So he checked your savior and said what is true about your savior, irrespective of your behavior, it is also true about you. Why? Because you believe Jesus. That's what I always say. I always say the greatest decision a man made was to believe Jesus. I tell people, listen, you can be a weed smoker, but don't die a weed smoker. <laughs> listen, you can commit all the sins of this world, but make sure you have received Christ. Because when a man receives Christ, tell someone it's too late. I mean the holiest of all. Holiest of all. That means there is, n there is not another holiness apart from this holiest. So, the holiest of all is in the believer. And the believer is in the holiest of all. <laughs> you see, some of these truths will not excite many people. You know why? Because they've not been trained in the word.
So when I give someone a thousand Ghana, he will laugh and say, oh, and you appreciate it. He says, wow, thank you, man of God. But when I say some truth like this, it's like, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, listen, this truth is heavier than thousand. Because the truth of the matter is that this truth is eternal. Thousand Ghana is not eternal. In fact, I can burn through fire. I'm in the holiest of all. And I'm the holiest of all. So can a demon come to the holiest of all? You see, so someone says, man of God, what will I do with this revelation? That's what I'm telling you. Can a demon enter the holiest of all? Do you know it was only the high priest that could enter? That means only Christ that can enter now. And he has entered. A demon cannot live in this body. Where the holiest of all is, and when the believer is in, the holiest of all. The holiest of all. That's where you are. Hallelujah. But anyway, that's not my teaching. So, the verse 13 is my teaching. Let's go to the verse 13. He says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an hypha, what is a hypha? A young bull is called an hypha. So you can put into bracket a young bull. Anytime you see hypha, it's a young bull. So a young bull is called an hypha. He says, and the ashes of an hypha, sprinkling the what? The unclean sanctifier to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, which is the life of Christ, who through the eternal, who through the eternal, so he's telling you this blood is spirit. Offered himself without spot to who? God. Now what will this life do in you? It shall what? Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. There are many people today who are not serving God well. You know why? Because they are living in fear. Listen, any Christianity that is lived in fear, whatever you do in that fear does not count. You hear what I said? If you serve God because you don't want to go to hell, everything you did in that work is useless. Did you understand what I just said? That's why I'm telling people that serving God is a serious matter. You cannot serve God without understanding. You cannot serve God in illiteracy. Spiritual illiteracy. You cannot be a, a, a spiritually dumb person and enjoy Christianity. No. Christianity is lived with understanding. Are you following this? So he's telling you there's a way to serve God. When you have realized how bad you are. But now, look at what he said. He says, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an ifa. Now, somebody will read this and then skip it. But whatever was explained in the New Testament was taken from where? The Old Testament. So now we need to go and look out how the ashes of an ifa was used to purify people. Then you will appreciate the work of Jesus. Because Jesus is the explanation of all things. Numbers chapter 19. We are going to go through an excursion into 
the heifer. The mystery of the red heifer. Good. So I'm going to read from the verse 1. Please pay attention. He says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, and said unto, and unto Aaron, sorry, saying, This is the ordinance of the Lord, which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring thee a... Please look into your Bible. That they bring thee a red, red heifer. We said the high five is what? A young bull. So it says bring a red what? Young bull. Without spot. That means it must be clean inside out. Wherein is no blemish. Now you see, when we understand the New Testament, now anytime we are reading things like that, we know it is pointing to who? When you see an animal, who is the animal pointing to? Christ. When he sees no blemish, what is he telling you? Christ was without sin. How do you get it? So now you can read the Old Testament and understand. It's unfortunate many Christians don't like to read Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. What they don't like is Songs of Solomon. Because they don't want to know. Songs of Solomon, kiss me with the kisses of thy mouth, for thy love is better than wine. What's that? The songs of Solomon was talking about Jesus' love words for the church. Solomon, actually in Hebrew, means prince of peace. Who is the prince of peace? Christ. Remember that Solomon was only a type of Jesus. Do you know that David fought so many battles? When Solomon came, the Bible says there was peace run about. That means when a man is in Christ, he enjoys peace run about. So Solomon was the prince of peace who is a type of Christ. Remember, oh, I don't want to go into this, but I'll do it. <laughs> Solomon asked of the Lord, and the Lord gave him what? Wisdom. The Bible says in uh, 1 Corinthians 1.24, he says, for Christ is the wisdom of God. So when Jesus came, you know what he said? He said, a greater than Solomon is here. In other words, I came with a, a divine wisdom from above. So it means if Solomon wrote Proverbs and Solomon um, received wisdom and Solomon was a type of Christ. That wisdom was who? Christ. So any wisdom you see in uh, Proverbs or uh, Ecclesiastes or Songs of Solomon is talking about who? Jesus. Remember when he received these treasures of wisdom. There was a time a woman, came, uh, two women came to, to him. They both gave birth to children. They were both prostitutes. Now, one woman carelessly slept on the sun. They both had sons. And the sun died. The other one carefully slept beside the sun. The sun was alive. Now, the woman whose son died was trying to steal the son of the woman who, uh, the, the son who was alive from the other woman. So they brought the matter to who? Solomon. For Solomon to judge the case by wisdom. Now, this is very important. It's so sweet. Now, when they brought the case, Solomon, by his wisdom, appointed and realized that this woman who was saying that let's divide the child into two did not care about the child. That means it's not a child. He says, give the son back to that woman. Now, when you read it, you might think it's an ordinary story. It was not ordinary. All things are of Christ. Now, if you read 
the book of Galatians, the Bible even tells us there were two women holding that same principle. Abraham had how many wives? He had one wife and one good. Who was called? Hagar. Two women. They both had what? Sons. Paul in Galatians 4.21 says these two were an allegory representing two covenants. The old covenant and the new covenant. Remember, Isaac, uh, uh, Ishmael came from the flesh. Abraham used his strength to try to help God to bring the promise. And Isaac came from God's ability from promise. So he's telling you that Isaac was a type of Christ and the spirit and the work of grace. And Ishmael is a type of trusting in your flesh, which is the law. Are you seeing that? So when Ishmael came out, God did not recognize Ishmael as the son because he came from the flesh. Anything you do out of your flesh is not recognized by God. So the Bible says these two women were representing two covenants. Remember, Hagar was a slave girl. Those who are under the law are of Hagar. They are slaves under the law. Sarah was a free woman. Those who are under grace are of Sarah. They are free women. Out of the deadness of Sarah's womb, life came. Out of the deadness of our lives, life comes through Jesus. Are you seeing this? So these two women who came to Solomon was a type of two covenants. The woman who slept on the child represents the old covenant. What does the old covenant do? It kills his children. The law kills. He says, if the ministration of death engraved on stones, the ministration of death. First Corinthians 15, 56, he says that the stench of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. So what kills man? The law. When you preach the law, you are the people. You are killing them softly. Thou shall not. You shall not. Before you realize they are breaking all of them in grand star. Let me ask you a question. Don't think of a red cat. Don't think of a red cat. <laughs> Don't think about a red cat. Do you know what is happening to you? You are trying to think it. That is what the Lord did. Man was a sinner, but he did not know he was a sinner. He thought he was okay because outwardly everything is fine. So when God gave the law, it awakened the sin. So when he says, thou shalt not, you want to shall not, but the thing is shalling. <laughs> so people think when they, you give laws to people, when you preach the Ten Commandments, they will live a holy life. No, they will live a sinful life. Because it revives sin. So the Bible says, in Romans 3.20, he says, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. When you are telling people, thou shalt not, you are giving them the knowledge of sin. So the woman who slept on the child represents the law, which kills his children. The law kills. The woman whose son was saved represents grace. Now, the woman whose child died was trying to take the child under the custody. Telling us that they are preachers who are trying to bring the children of God under the law. 
So the matter must be judged by Christ. So people who are arguing, we are under law. Some say we are under grace. Let Jesus answer. When Solomon answered, he said, let this child go back to the mother. The mother there was grace. Our mother is grace. Not as if grace gave birth to us, but grace nurtures us. We are under grace. We are under the care of grace. We are under the nurturing of grace. And Solomon made that sentence or declaration. In other words, God through Christ has determined by his wisdom that we are under grace. Good. So, when Jesus came, he said a greater than Solomon was here. So, who was Solomon pointing to? Christ. Another name that was given to Solomon was Jedidiah. The word Jedidiah means beloved. In Ephesians 1, the verse 3, the Bible says we have been accepted in the beloved. So, we are the Jedidiahs. Praise God. Good. So, the verse 2 again. He says, this is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, speak unto the children of Israel that they bring thee a red heifer without spot where there's no blemish and upon which never came what? Yoke. That means it must not be under any yoke. I'm going to explain that very soon. That was the qualification of the animal. He says, and ye shall give her unto Eleazar the priest that he may bring her forth without the camp. Can you imagine? It was supposed to be taken without the camp. And one shall slay her before his face. Look at the verse 5. It's very key. He says, And one shall burn the heifer in his sight. Her skin, her flesh, her blood, her dung, that means the poo-poo, shall he burn. The verse 6. And the priest shall take cedar, cedar wood, high soap, and scarlet, and shall cast it in the midst of the burning heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes. Now, the verse 8 says, And he that burned hair shall also wash his clothes, and bathe, in, uh, bathe his flesh in water, and shall be unclean unto even. Now look at the verse 9. Where the bomb is. He says, And the man that is clean shall gather up the what? The ashes of the heifer, and lay them without the camp in a clean place. And it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel with a water of separation. It is purification for? It is purification for? It is purification for? Good. The verse 12. He shall purify himself with it on the third day and on the seventh day. Now look at the verse 13. Whosoever touched the dead body of a man that is dead and purified not himself defied defileth the tabernacle of the Lord. And the sword shall be cut off from Israel because he touched a dead body. Anyway. Because the, look, because the water of separation was not sprinkled upon him and he shall be unclean. His uncleanness is yet upon him. Now look at the verse 17. He says, and for an unclean person, they shall take the ashes of the burnt heifer of purification for sin and running water 
What? Running water. Another name for running water is living water. You can check out. It's living water. So he shall take what? The running water or the living water shall put there into the vessel. Then a clean person shall take high soap and dip it in water and sprinkle it upon the tent and upon the vessels and upon the persons that will be there upon him that touched the bone or a slain or one dead or a grave. Now, you can watch me now. Huh. God gave a qualification concerning how they will purify themselves. God said, take a red hypha. The hypha should be unblemished. It should not have blemish. Praise God. The red hypha must be red. <laughs> Praise God. Good. Then they will take the hypha outside the camp, kill the hypha, and then drain the blood. That's at that same place. And then the Bible says, they should burn the hypha. And this is what he said they should burn. They should burn the hypha in their sight, the skin of the hypha, the flesh of the hypha, the blood of the hypha, and the poo of the hypha all together. Whilst it is burning, they should put three things into the burning hypha. One is cedar wood. Two is high soap. And three is... I forgot it, so you just read it. Scarlet. Scarlet thread. So they will burn everything. Now pay attention. When they burn everything, it will become ashes. Then they will collect the ashes. For the ashes to become effective, they will put the ashes in running water, which is also called what? Living water. Then they dip high soap and then sprinkle it upon any unclean person. When it sprinkles on that unclean person, the unclean person becomes clean. Can you imagine? So without the water, can the ashes work? The ashes is useless without the water. Are you following this? Good. So now, how do we re reconcile this with Christ? Because, back to Hebrews chapter 9. Let's see where the connection is. Hebrews chapter 9. Let's go back there. If you are there, you say glory. glory. Good. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. He says, for if the blood of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of what? And Haifa, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh. That means it cleaned only their flesh. He said, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself <coughs> without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So now we just look at the study of the... Uh, so he's telling us that the mystery of the red hypha is about who? Christ. So now let's begin to decode it. He says, take a young hypha or a young bull. It must be red. Red signifies redemption or atonement, bloodshed. Now he says the hypha must be without blemish. What was it signifying? That Christ would be without sin. So Paul says, him who knew no sin. So Jesus knew no sin. John said, in him is no sin. 
And Peter said, he had no sin. So all around, Jesus was without blemish. Now, look at 1 Peter chapter 1, and let's confirm this very quickly. Whatever I'm teaching, I just want to confirm it for you, then you see that for yourself. 1 Peter chapter 1, let's read from the verse um, 18. He says, for as much as you know that you were redeemed, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers. What is he talking about? Old Testament. He says, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without what? Blemish and without spot. So the animal that was without spot was representing what? Christ without sin. Christ without sin. Number three, he said, it must not be under any yoke. Numbers 19. Now, what is yoke? Yoke means bondage. Jesus was not under the yoke of sin. He was not under the yoke of the devil. So, Jesus was not under any yoke. Satan had no hold in him. He says, the devil came, but he had no hold in me. So, Jesus was not under any yoke. He was not under the law. He was not under sin. He was not under Satan. So, he had no yoke. That's number three. Now, the next one, he says that um, they must burn, kill the, the animal and burn it outside the camp. Now, let's look at Hebrews chapter 13, the verse 11 and 12. And let's confirm that quickly. Hebrews chapter 13, if you are there, you say glory. glory. Hebrew, if, you're, if you are not there, you say glory. Okay, let's continue. He says, we, let's read from the verse 10, Hebrews 13, 10. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned where? Without the camp. Now look, he says, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the guys. So who was the hyper pointing to? Christ. He was killed outside the camp so that he will sanctify you. So now, he says burn the animal skin Christ suffered in his body. He says burn his blood. His blood was spilled in suffering. Anything that goes through fire is judged. Anything that goes through fire suffers. He says, burn the animal's intestines too. So Christ suffered within and without. He says, burn even a dung. Dung is what? Poops. What does poops signify? Filth. He took our filth and he was judged for our sins in him. Praise God. And he said, put three things into the fire. Cedar wood, high soap, and scarlet. Now, in this particular story, cedar wood is a very strong, enormous, gigantic wood that is indestructible. It is believed that this wood, when you shoot it back, the bullet will bounce back to you. Very strong. But the high soap plant is a very small plant and it is very weak. So he says, put cedar wood, strong, indestructible. The next one is high soap, very weak plant, very, very weak plant. 
So tender that even your touch can destroy it. So weak that he said, add scarlet. Now, what were these three things pointing to? All things point to who? So the cedar wood in this context was representing Christ as God. He was strong. He was indestructible. High soap, weak, he became a man, frail humanity. And number three, scarlet, redemption. So Jesus, who is God, became a man for our redemption. <laughs> Are you seeing that? And it was burnt with the fire. And he says, when it becomes ashes, what does ashes represent? A finished work. If your house is burnt, your house is finished. <laughs> so ashes represents the finality of all things. Ashes represents that which cannot be undone. <laughs> So, we said all the things Christ did was representing what? His work of salvation for us. His work of redemption and purification. So, when it was burned, it represents it was finished. It was finished. It was finished. Now, he said for it to operate, put the ashes into living water. Into living water. That means the finished work could not operate without the living water. Hey, so he says, sprinkle that living water with the ashes upon an unclean person, and the person will become the person will become hey. So the finished work must be put in living water, then before you can sprinkle it. In other words, the living water cannot become effective without the ashes. What did the living water represent? The Holy Spirit. What did the ashes represent? The finished work of Christ. In other words, the Holy Spirit can make clean and holy without the work of Jesus. Now, John chapter 7, the verse 38. This is good. But if you love money, this is not good. <laughs> All right. Can we read this? Thank you, Jesus. Now, he says, the verse 38, He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow what? Rivers of? What's another name for living water? Running water. What does it remind you of? Numbers. Now, he's going to explain this one clearly. Now, look at what he said. He said, now he's going to explain why he said, he that believes in me, out of his belly shall flow living water. Now, look at the verse 39. He says, but this speak he of the? Of the? What is the living water? The spirit. Now, look. Which dead that do what? Believe on him should receive. How would they receive this running water or this living water? Because that Jesus was not yet glorified. What is he talking about? The finished work. His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. That is his glorification. 
So, just like the ashes could not operate without the living water, the finished work of Jesus Christ could not be functional except the spirit was released. So now, when a man believes Jesus, what happens to him? He's sprinkled with living water. Hey! When a man believes Jesus, he's sprinkled with what? Living water. What is the living water? The spirit. What is the ashes? The finished work. In other words, the finished work becomes activated when a man believes Jesus by the work of the spirit. So, the spirit makes purification of the saints possible through the redemption of Jesus. So now, in Hebrews chapter 1, the verse 4, let's go back to the scriptures. You are going to read a lot of scriptures. So you must get used to it. Hebrews chapter 1, the verse 4. Now, what was the purpose of the red heifer? For what? Purification of sins. Purification of what? Sins. Now look at Hebrews chapter 1, the verse 4. Now let's look at the verse 3. He says, Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, that he that he had by himself uh, when he had by himself done what? done what? purged Ah? what did he do? what did he do? sat down question what did Jesus do to your sins? he did what? he did what? question are you purged? are you sure you are purged? How are you perched? Because it doesn't look physically that you are perched. You are perched. By? By the finished work of Jesus through the power of the Spirit. Tell somebody I'm perched. I'm sanctified. I'm purified. I'm sanctified. I'm purified. I'm perched. So Jesus was the ashes of the heifer. It represented his finished work. And the running water, which is also called living water, was the spirit. So remember, the ashes in the living water made men, made men clean. In other words, the finished work through the power of the Holy Spirit makes men how spiritually. So in First Corinthians chapter six, the verse eleven, quickly come there. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So there is no work of sanctification in salvation without the Holy Spirit. Are you seeing this? So now, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the verse 11. Look, he says, And such were some of you, but ye are, uh-uh, ye are, now, did you see, you will be washed? He said, ye are, so the believer is, washed. You are, sanctified. So, how is a man sanctified? When he lives a good life, how is the man sanctified? Let's read. He says, but you are justified in your good works, right? In the name. Anytime you see the word name, don't just look at the name Jesus. Anytime you see name, look at reputation. The reputation of a man is his name. The moment you go and you say, oh, I am a son to President Akufo Ado. They don't just look at the person. They look at their name. They say, oh, Sorry, sir. Come inside, sir. Okay, sir. Why? Reputation, president. Now, the reason why demons subject to the name of Jesus is not because a man is just mentioning a name. It's because of what? 
He knows the reputation the name carries. It destroyed all principalities and powers. So a man who mentions the name Jesus without understanding the reputation, what he did with that name, he will not have the power. So, if you read Philippians chapter 12, 2, the verse 12, the Bible did not say at the mention of the name. Okay. Go and read your Bible well. Okay. Philippians 2, 12. <laughs> Let's read from the verse um, 9. He says, Wherefore God had highly exalted him and given him a name, which is what? Above every name. That at the... At the... He didn't say at the mention. So, it is not really about mentioning the name. Are you seeing? He says at the name. In other words, anyone who functions in that name, anyone who functions in that authority in the name, you, you don't necessarily have to mention it. Your presence and understanding of that name is the work. You didn't get this. When a man knows that he cannot be tormented by devils, therefore when he's sleeping, demons don't operate. That man, he's functioning in the name without mentioning it. Remember, it's not mentioning the name that makes the name powerful. Because the sons of Sceva mentioned the name and they were beaten. You know what the demon said? Jesus, I know him. Paul, I know him. Who are you? <laughs> Some of us, our names are there. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Isaac Lapapo, I know. Who are you? So it's not just mentioning Jesus, 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 Jesus. You know, some of you, you, you. (laughs) Oh, for Jesus in Yeshua, when you're in trouble, you're mentioning. It's like you're just faking a name because you're in trouble. Even when there's going to be an accident, Muslims are all shouting Jesus. You see, it is understanding the authority in the name. When Jesus died, he died for our sins. When he was buried, the funeral arrangement for our sins was organized. When Jesus went to hell, the Bible says he made a public spectacle of principalities and powers in the heavenly... uh, uh, Look at Colossians 2.15. He made a public spectacle... Colossians 2.15, if you are there, say glory. glory. Mm. Good. He says, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in what? In the cross. So demons were subjected. They were destroyed in the work of Jesus Christ. So that authority is in the name. So the name there is the reputation, the authority in the name. That is what the Bible says, in whatsoever you do, in deeds or in words, do it in the name of our Lord. He's not saying when you are sleeping, he said, Jesus, 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 hey, when you're in your office, whatever you are doing, so you're on your computer, Jesus, your boss will sack you. He's saying whatever you do, in word and in deeds, do it in the name. He's saying, do it, do it in the character of Jesus, in the reputation of Jesus, in the ranking of Jesus. In other words, when you are using another man's computer, you spoil it if Jesus were using it. Okay. 
If you are using someone's toilet, you won't destroy it because you will not use you will not destroy that same toilet if it was you. You see how the place is so quiet. You are functioning in the character of Jesus. Whatever you do, do it in his reputation. In other words, if that man angered you in the car and he overtook you and you were angry, you wanted to say, Qua. And you remembered this scripture. You say, Qua labo senge labahai. Onyasa go on the siva. Bulalu sadande. You are functioning in the name. You change your confession. Because I'm functioning in his name. Do you know when you're carrying someone's name, you don't mess up? Are you aware? When you're functioning in someone's name, you don't mess up. You cannot take a presidential car and be driving by heart. You say, ah, the president of Ghana doing this. You see that? Because when you're carrying someone's name, you are carrying his reputation. So you don't, you don't, you don't bring a tarnishing to that name. That's how to function in the name of Jesus. It's the same with dealing with demons. You know, it's not just you saying Jesus. There are men who just say Jesus, they don't know what Jesus did. How we attain the name, they don't know. He says, I give unto you power to trample upon snakes and scorpions. Now, when he says snakes and scorpions, he's not talking about physical snakes and scorpions. So don't take it literally. There was a man who saw this scripture. Uh, he read the book of Daniel. True story. Well, last year I saw it on Facebook. He read the book of Daniel. How Daniel entered the lion's den and shut their mouth. He said he was going to demonstrate the power of the name. And he entered into a zoo. And he told the zoo attendant to release the lion. He said, then we'll kill you. He said, release. And he was standing there. And the lion was coming. Video live. And the lion was coming. The lion took his hand. And he ran. Because how do you de demonstrate the name? You don't demonstrate the name when you enter the zoo. Listen, even the apostles, upon all their power, when they were looking for them, they ran. Someone said, Man of God, what will you do when you see a snake? I will run. We call it running by faith. You see the Bible, he said, Flee, flee, flee. It's the fleeing anointing, man of God. When you are preaching and a lion enters, I'll pass through this door. What should we do, man of God? Find your own way out. You know, there are some situations, eh? Don't try to act spiritual. Do you know when Lazarus died and Jesus was going to raise him from the dead? There was a tomb. There was a stone that had rolled to cover it. Jesus did not do like... He said, roll the stone. So, you just need wisdom. You've seen a place, you've seen the armed robbers have parked their car there. And they are attacking everybody. And by the grace of God, you delayed one minute. And you saw them and said, Father, this day. 
Master, run eh. You had the chance. Run. 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 What if I'm doing evangelism? And people want to butcher me. Man of God. Shall I become like Peter? Who prayed and worshipped Paul and Silas? And there was earthquake. Boss, there's no earthquake. <laughs> Run. Oh. Run. And when you have run and you realize there's no strength, say, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. <laughs> so you use the power of God wisely. Do you know Jesus could turn stone into bread? Yet when Satan said turn stone into bread, he didn't. Why? Because Satan, he says, if you are the son of God, turn it. So Satan was trying to say that if he doesn't turn it, he's not a son of God. And Jesus said, hey, I don't need your approval. For me to know I'm the son of God. Whether I turn it or not, I'm still the son. You understand what I'm saying? So you don't use your power foolishly. There was a man of God. They were going to do evangelism with a wife. He's called Charles and Francis Hunter. They were going to do evangelism in a very deep bush. And they had to, they had to um, use a canoe to cross over the river. It's a very long journey. And the first canoe had gone. The canoe comes every two days. And they missed the flight. And he said, Father, we want to go and preach the gospel. There is no canoe. We trust you for grace. You know what happened? They walked on the water. True story. Heroes of faith. They walked on the water. And they went to preach. When they finished and they were coming, the canoe was there and they sat in. And they went. (laughs) They sat in the canoe. There was a man of God whose flight delayed and he was disappointed because it was a very major program. So he had to use long distance through a car when he sat in the car and said, oh God. When he opened his eyes, he was at a meeting. Hey, I receive it. You <laughs> receive it. Who receive it. Don't receive it. Hallelujah. So, it was a 13-hour journey. When he finished praying, he wanted to apply the same thing. So when he said, he says, oh, Jesus. And he opened his eye. He was still there. Oh, Jesus. And he opened his eye. He was still there. Oh, Jesus. And he dropped the car himself. <laughs> you don't go with miracles. The miracles here, my papa. Hallelujah. I hope I'm teaching good here. Praise God. So, where were we? All right. So, let's finish this. Hallelujah. All right. So, we're looking at um, how sanctified we are in Christ. Um, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2, the verse 11. Now, look. He says, both he that sanctified and they who are uh, uh, who are please when you're reading the bible add grammar you must pay attention to grammar and tenses it says both he who sanctifies who sanctifies Jesus sanctifies and they who are so who are you 
Sanctified. So the believer is sanctified. Someone says, man of God, I feel filthy. Yes, you can feel filthy. But you don't have to feel it. I always tell people, people say, I don't feel saved. Why? Because I feel the presence of God has left me. How do you receive the presence of God? So, you see, many Christians, they have their theology based on senses. See, never trust your senses. It's a lie. You, you can't trust your senses. Someone says, I know I'm not saved because I don't feel God's presence. You cannot feel God's presence. Those things happen once in a while. You must not feel saved. You must know you are saved. You must not feel anointed. You must know you are anointed. There are days that I don't even feel the anointing, but the day by their understanding, I lay hands on the sick, they are healed. Because you must not feel the anointing. You must know the anointing is here. Are you following? In the same way, you must not feel sanctified. You must know you are sanctified. So this is knowledge, not feelings. That's why many Christians are having problems with their salvation. How do you know you are saved? Oh, I found my hand shaking at the altar call. So what if your hand stopped shaking? How do you know you are saved? Oh, I, there were some chills in my heart. So, goosebumps. How long does goosebumps last? So, if, if it's gone, that means your salvation went with it. But salvation is not a feeling, it's a knowing. Sanctification is not a feeling, it's a knowing. God said, because you believe my son, Jesus, you are sanctified. It's not in your behavior, it's in your savior. So what you must do is to renew your mind to how sanctified you are and soon you start living a sanctified life. Because when you know you are wearing a white clothes, you know how you walk. When you know you are clean in Christ, you know how you walk. Praise God. The day you, you wear a white dress, look at how you behave. You are careful where you sit. You even clean the chest three times before you sit down. When somebody who is sweating, imagine you wear white and you're in a trotro and then a dirty mechanic comes to sit beside you. And this man too will not keep quiet. Every three minutes. <coughs> The anointing to preach salvation will leave you. You're just watching him like this. You're bowling. Sister, pushy, 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 pushy. And I went white. You see how careful you are? When you know you are clean, when you know you are righteous, and you keep knowing you are conscious of your righteous position in Christ, it affects the way you behave and walk. A righteous man will not retaliate. A righteous man will not revenge. A righteous man will give. He will not be stingy. A righteous man will know how to live a righteous life. Are you seeing this? Say, I'm righteous. I'm sanctified. I'm washed in Christ. Hallelujah. Let's use the next five minutes to finish this. Now, in the book of Daniel chapter 5, the verse 5. You see, one of the challenges why we find it difficult teaching some of these things is because many of you don't spend time reading the Old Testament. So now we have to tell you the story and explain the story at the same time. But imagine you, you knew all these stories. We just go straight away, we decode it, then we are out. So now we have, we have to tell you the, the story and explain the story. Listen, you must fall in love with the Old Testament books because Jesus is the explanation. So 
Any Old Testament story you don't understand, it is not a mystery. It's because Jesus is not there. Are you seeing this? Good. Hmm. When Israel went into captivity, there was a time the Babylonians entered into the, uh, the tabernacle, which was the temple of Solomon, and then they brought everything down and took the caps, the utensils, and all the things that were used for the holy things of God. They brought it into their palace and they were having party with the cap of the Lord, with the plates of the Lord. They were using the candlestick as light and there were women playing around them naked and they were chilling with the holy things of God. So in the process of their chilling, there was a supernatural hand that wrote something on the wall. He wrote four things, which is actually three things. He wrote many, many tekel ufasin. Many, many tekel ufasin. And the king was baffled. Let's go to Daniel chapter 5. You're looking at my face. He said, hey, many. <laughs> many. Many, hello, many. Many, many. Let's move on. It's not a gown. It's not mini. It's many. Many. So Daniel chapter 5. The verse 5. Good. He says, In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the what? The candlestick, which we said is what? The lampstand. Upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. So they were chilling. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. And the king cried aloud, bring the astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck. Look, he said, anyone who's able to interpret this, interpret this. This is too good. He said, he shall, the guy shall be clothed with scarlet. What does scarlet represent? Redemption. Okay. And shall have a chain of gold. What does gold represent? Divinity. <laughs> About his neck. And shall be the third in the ruler of the kingdom. What does number three represent? No. Godhead or, or resurrection. Jesus rose on the third day. Good. Then came in then came in all the king's wise men and they could not read the writing. Uh, hmm. Nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then the king Belshazzar greatly troubled and his countenance was changed in him and his laws were astonished. Were astonished. Now, the queen, by reason of the words of the king and the laws, came unto the banquet and said, Oh, queen. So let's move on. Let's move on. Good. They went to call Daniel. So let's read from the verse 12. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the name Bethsaida, now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. And then Daniel was brought 
in before the king. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, Are thou Daniel, which are the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king, uh, my father, brought out of Jewry and commanded us on? Let's move on to the interpretation straight away. Good. Let's come to uh, the verse 24. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. Pay attention. Many, many, take care this is in the this is the interpretation of the thing. Many God had numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Hmm. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances, and thou art found wanting. Peresh, which is the same as uh, Ufasin. It means thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. That was a very bad prophecy to him. That was the interpretation. So, I decided to go and do a study into many, many tekel upasen. You'll be amazed. Now, the word many is from a Babylonian coin, which is called mina, which is uh, 60 shekels of silver. Silver represents? Huh? It represents redemption. So, remember, he said many means Thou art numbered thy kingdom and what? Finished it. So it also means to finish. Tackle, he says, I've weighed. The word weigh means to pay. To pay. And number three, upassing, he says, your kingdom has been divided. The word upassing means to break into pieces. So, when you put these three names or these three words together, guess what you are going to see there? It means in the finished work, he redeemed us by paying the price through the breaking or division of his body into pieces on the cross. I read again. Many, many tackle who passing. In the finished work, he redeemed us by paying the price through the breaking of his body into pieces on the cross. So it was Christ. Remember, it was a hand that wrote it. Christ was writing his death warrant before he came. And guess what? Who interpreted it? Daniel. The Bible says the one with an excellent spirit in whom dwells the spirit of the gods. Remember the astrologers could not interpret it. That means ordinary men without Christ cannot interpret the heart of Christ, the finished work of Christ. Who interpreted it? Daniel. Men who have the Holy Ghost can interpret the counsel of God in the finished work of Christ. Are you seeing that? And when Daniel, now, the king said, anyone who interprets it, anyone who interprets it, he says, number one, you do what? Can you remember? He will put on him scarlet. Number two, he will put a chain of gold. Number three, he will make him third in command. That means a man who discovers and interprets the finished work of Christ. Number one, this man will walk in the divine life, golden chain. Number two, he will walk in the realities of redemption, scarlet. And he will be third in command. He will enjoy the glory of divinity. The Godhead. He will share in the same glory. He will share in the same glory when he's able to interpret. So a man that knows he's forgiven will live a divine life. A man that knows he's forgiven. This man is, 
is, is, is going to enjoy dominion over the powers of darkness because Satan cannot threaten you again. So times when you want to pray for the sick and the devil tells you, hey, 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 you are not sanctified. Yesterday you told a lie. What do you tell him? Are you sanctified because you did not tell a lie? So are you unsanctified when you tell a lie? No. So what do you tell the devil? I'm sanctified in the name of Jesus by the spirit of God. I'll pray for the sick. You shall lay hands on the sick. Look, listen. He didn't say these signs shall follow them that do good. He says these signs shall follow them that in my name, not in your name. Are you seeing that? So the interpretation was that in the finished work of Jesus Christ, he was going to pay the price. How? Through the breaking of his body into pieces, sufferings on the cross for us. When we interpret this, we'll walk in redemption. We'll walk in the divine glory of God and we'll share in the same glory of the Godhead or walk in the resurrection life. Are you seeing this? All right. So the final one, which is Balaam and Israel. I've told you in LGCC, we do what? We teach long. It's a school. Okay? So we teach long. So get used to long teaching. Alright. So Balaam and Israel. Something happened in Israel. Okay? I think I explained this during our program last week, right? Good. What happened? God told Israel to arrange themselves into what? Camps. East, west, north, and what? South. Now, when I say, I'm not saying here is east. Me, I don't know where east is. So I'm just. <laughs> you understand? Now, you are laughing. Do you know where east is? That's my only problem in school. Though. I don't know east. North. North. Where? I'm not alone. Not alone. North, east, west. So he says, arrange east, west, north, south. So they arrange and put the tabernacle in the middle. So when the tabernacle was erected, they were arranged according to the east. God told God warned them nobody should arrange himself in southwest. In other words, it cannot be in the middle. It's either you are in the east, west, north, or south. Now, when you look at that arrangement, what is it a picture of? If you are standing at the top, a picture of the cross. And who is that tabernacle? Christ. So when Balaam was hired to come and cast them, from the hill, what did he see? Christ on the cross. Could he cast them? No. Why? Because he saw the redemption of your curse. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse. So Balaam saw somebody already cursed, so he could not curse, but to bless. Praise God. But you see, there was something this man saw. Come to Numbers chapter 23, the verse 8. Numbers 23, the verse 8. Numbers 23, 8. If you are there, say glory. 23, what? 8. Good. He says, How shall I curse whom God has not what? Cursed. How shall I defy whom the Lord has not? Whom the Lord has not? Defy. Now look at the verse 9. He says, from the top of the rocks, I see who? Him. I thought he was seeing numbers of people. I see who? Now, do you know that it was, it was men that formed the cross? Do you know it was human beings that formed the shape of the cross? 
And then the tabernacle was in. What was he telling you? The cross is for men. Salvation is for men. Forgiveness is for men. So whatever Christ did, he did for men. So he said, I thought he was going to say, I see people. He said, I see who? Him. So who did Balaam see? Jesus on the cross. Prophetically. Look, he says, from the top of the rocks, I see him. And from the hills, I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone. And shall not be reckoned among the nations. Now, look at the verse 13. And Balak said unto him, come I pray with me. Uh, uh, let's go to the other side. From whence thou may see them, thou shalt see but the uttermost part of them, and thou shalt see them, and curse me for them. So, Balak changed the position. He said, let's go to this side. When he finished, he couldn't curse. They took him, let's go to another side. Maybe you can curse from there. He went, he couldn't curse. He said, let's move to another dimension. You know what it means? Anywhere and anyhow you turn the believer, he's still uncursable. Any direction. When they go to the sea, they can't curse you. They should take you to Antwerp, they can't curse you. They should look at you in a pot, they can't curse you. They should look at you in their office, they can't curse you. They should look at you in witches' headquarters, they can't curse you. They should look at you amongst the occult grandmasters, they can't curse you. Anyhow, anywhere, wherever you send a believer to, it's uncursable. Any dimension. Praise God. As he is, so if a man looks at you and calls your name, hey, as he is, so who appears? If someone says, Man of God, <laughs> I've seen some before. I've seen some before. They called the name as a chobino. Then they choke, pshew, they say, Ah, my heart. Pshew, my leg. Pshew, my head. Can you imagine? Isaac Lapapu, pshew, my head. Not because I'm a prophet, but because I know who I am as a prophet. I, can you imagine yourself? They mention your name and you appear and you are standing there and you are, you are shaking like that. I watched the movie. When you appear, you are shaking like this. I said, You are the one who stole my money. Take it. Chum! I like this. Look at you. This, this, this powerful man of God. You see, the problem is that don't use people's experiences to grade your revelation in Christ. What you know, you know. That's what I'm saying. Say, so what I know, I know. I'm unstoppable. Wonderful. So, come to the verse 9, 18, 18. He says, and took, oh, let's go to 27. Please, please, let's come to 21. 21. Look, he says, he had not beheld what? Hey, he had not beheld in Neither has he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him and the shout of a king is amongst them. What is he saying? When he saw, don't you know Israel was sinning? They were even worshipping other gods. But he said when he saw him, he says there is no what? Iniquity. Why? Because of Christ. When he saw him, he did not see perverseness. When he saw him, he did not see iniquities. When God sees you, he does not see iniquity. When he sees you, he does not see sin. He sees his son. He sees Christ. He sees him. And he declares you righteous. Lift your hand and say, I'm righteous. I'm righteous. Come on, shout, I'm righteous. I'm righteous. Someone says, man, I'm going to be righteous. Listen, the Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. So when you know you are righteous, you become bold. 
When you're going for an interview, you know because you're a righteous man, you have the job. So righteousness makes you bold. Just I'm bold. I'm bold. Nothing scares me. I'm unstoppable because I'm a righteous man in Christ. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. The last one before we close. Now, from next week, you're going to talk about divine realities of forgiveness. Okay? So, we are going to see the last one. In Joshua chapter 3, the verse 7 to 16. The verse, Joshua chapter 3, verse 7. Are you there? Yeah, where's Joshua? Where's Joshua? Father, until that answer, I commit my spirit. Joshua chapter 3, the verse 7. Alright, are you ready? Alright, he says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I was with Moses. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. And thou shalt command the priest to bear the ark of the covenant. Remember the ark of the covenant. Saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. And Joshua shall, unto the children of Israel shall, uh, Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither and hear the words of your Lord, the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Hereby ye shall know the living God is amongst you, and that he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the uh, Gigashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites. He says, Behold the ark of the Lord in all the earth passed over before you in Jordan. Now therefore, Take you twelve men out of the tribe of Israel, out of the tribe of what? Uh, out of the tribe, a man. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of your feet shall bear the ark upon the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan. And the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand on the heap. Look. Hmm. And it shall come to pass, when the people remove their tents to pass over the Jordan, and the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as they bear the ark, where come the Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bore the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, the Jordan overflowed all his banks all the time of harvest. Now look at verse 16. That the waters which came down from above stood and rose up and heaped very far, from the city of the city of hey hmm. that that is beside Zeratan and those who came toward the sea of the plain even the salt sea field and were cut off and the people passed over against Jericho now I want us to read the verse 17 together one two go One more time. One, two, go. For the last time. One, two, go. Good. Now, listen to this carefully. Joshua took the people on their way to the promised land. Okay? God said to them, take one person from each tribe. Then he said unto them, bring the Ark of Covenant to lead them. He said, when you step into the Jordan, something will happen. The Jordan will part into two. So the waters will part into two. 
and it will part into two and spread from where they step on all the way to the city of Adam in a place called Zeritan. And it will pass through even through the Dead Sea. Hey! And it shall give way. And the Bible says they crossed through on dry ground and they were clean. Now, this will seem like an ordinary thing. It's not ordinary. God was telling us something. Now, what does Jordan in Hebrew represent? Judgment or redemption. The word Jordan in Hebrew means judgment or redemption. Now, who was leading them? Under the leadership of who? Joshua. Who is Joshua pointing to? Jesus. Remember, Moses could not take them to the promised land. Who took them there? Joshua. What's the promised land? Rest. Canaan. Rest. That means the law, Moses, cannot bring us to God's rest. Who brings us to God's rest? Christ. Joshua. Are you seeing that? So, who is Joshua pointing to? Jesus. The English name for Joshua is Jesus. So, Joshua, who is a type of Christ... Together with the priest, who is the high priest? Christ. They brought the Ark of Covenant. Who is the Ark of Covenant? Christ. Stepped into the Jordan. What is Jordan? Judgment. Who stepped into a judgment? Christ. When he stepped into a judgment on the cross, it parted into two onto the city of Adam. That means, who is Adam representing? Sin. He carried the judgment of a sin from where he was down into Adam. Christ carried our sins from where he was. The sins of all men tracing into Adam to the city of Adam. He says called Zeritan. Zeritan means tribulation. He took our tribulation and he says into the Dead Sea. What did the, the sin of Adam bring to us? Death! So Christ stepped into our judgment and took the sin of man right from Adam. Took the tribulation of man and the death of man. So the death sea was representing the death of man. He tasted death for every man. That day, anyone who crossed, crossed on dry ground. The Jordan represents what? Judgment. So if your leg touched the water, your leg touched what? Judgment. So if your leg did not touch water, you did not touch judgment. So they crossed on dry ground. That means the believer has no condemnation, no judgment. Because one man stepped into the waters of our judgment and received our sins all the way to Adam. Our death and our tribulation. We are without sin. We are clean. We are righteous men. We have no condemnation. We have no judgment. Jesus Christ is our redemption. All the way to the city of Adam. Into the Dead Sea. Jesus took our sins right from Adam and the death Adam introduced and took our tribulation and we walked on dry ground. No condemnation. We walk in redemption. No condemnation. I have no sin in me. When God sees me, he does not see sin. He sees his son. I'm the righteousness of God. My sins are forgiven. Jesus forgave my sins. Jesus canceled my sins. Jesus forgot my sins. God does not count my sins against me. Jesus purified me, washed me in his blood. I am without sin. I'm clean. Tell someone you are so clean. Like so clean. Lift your hands. Say I'm clean. I'm white as wool. I'm white as snow. God does not behold iniquity. He beholds righteousness when he looks at me. I'm a righteous man. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven for his name's sake in whom I have redemption 
through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace wherein he made to abound towards me in all wisdom and prudence jesus calculated my redemption he made no excess he made my salvation he made my redemption intact his wisdom wrought my salvation his grace wrought my salvation his grace super abounded where sin abounded grace abounds much more i am in christ i abound because i'm in grace i stand in the grace of god i'm without iniquity the righteousness of god is me i am righteousness begin to speak to yourself right now tell yourself who you are remind your who you are remind your mind who you are remind your mind that you are clean remind your mind that you are purified remind your mind that you are the righteousness of god remind your mind that jesus took away your sins he cancelled your sins hey abata abata you know all sins your past your present your future sins was placed on jesus jesus stepped into the judgment of my sin and carried it all the way into adam he carried my death he carried my zeratan my tribulation he carried my jordan my judgment i walk through in redemption without condemnation without judgment i'm justified i'm washed i'm sanctified in the name of jesus and by the spirit of our lord lift your voice begin to remind your mind who you are in christ 